You're listening to Halford and Bruff. side for John Marino. Nice stretch pass. There's a chance for Boquist down the right wing. In front for Sharon Govich. He scores. What a pass by Jesper Boquist. You know, everyone's trying their best and we're just not, it's just not good enough right now and we're not piecing it together as a five-man unit and, uh, you know, I don't have the answers. It's time for another death march. (laughs) Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. It is Alfred. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Adog, how are you? I'm well, how are you? And good morning, laddie. Hello, hello. Uh, Adog, I am well. Thank you for asking. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, I told you this death march is coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, tell them more about Kintech. Oh, Kintech, we love you so much <laughs> as I try to find the read. Yep, keep stalling. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. I intentionally didn't ask what was going to be in the intro this morning because I thought it might have been the Rob Schneider, oh no, we suck again. But no, you guys came through with Andy singing the Death March song, which to be fair is just as good and just as accurate. Do you guys think we'll end up like recording a single? I'm going to release a greatest hit album. <laughs> By the end of the year, there'll be at least 10 different tracks. Why, why, don't we, why don't we get in the studio and write some lyrics to It's Time for Another Death <laughs> yeah. March. Sending your love down the well style. Yeah. <laughs> Are you crusty? We get, we, we, yeah. you can another be Death March. <laughs> you can be Sting. <laughs> okay, focus. Damn it. Focus. Oh, Marge, he's a good digger. <laughs> We are less focused than the local hockey squadron, which, by the way, is now dead last in the NHL. We'll get to that in a minute, though. What's happening on the program today, you may be asking. Uh, 7 o'clock, first guest, Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff is going to join us. We could probably talk about some other stories other than Vancouver Canucks with Frank if we want a brief reprieve from the sadness. Uh, there's a ton of stuff going on in and around the league. 11 games last night, not counting that one between the Canucks and the Devils. So, Frank, at 7 o'clock, 7.30, first-time guest. On the Halford and Bruff Show, uh, Alex Schiffer, he is the Brooklyn Nets beat writer for The Athletic. Why would we want to talk to him? Well, Steve Nash was uh, fired. I don't know if it was a mercy firing. He said it was mutual. I'm sure Steve was like, yep, I'm ready to go now. Uh, he is now out as the head coach of the the Brooklyn Nets, and they have decided to double down potentially on uh, maybe even a more controversial figure for a controversial team. We'll talk to Alex Schiffer Nets beat writer at The Athletic at 7.30 about that. 8.05, Dan Murphy is going to join us, where we will try and make sense of another horrific effort from the Vancouver Canucks, especially in the third period. So working in reverse, 8 o'clock, it is Murph. 7.30, it is Alex Schiffer. 7 o'clock, it is Frank Saravalli. Uh Light night in the NHL tonight. There's just two games, but uh, maybe we can start taking solace in the fact that Toronto is going through it right now as well. They are in one, but not in a good way. Uh, the Paul Marner, Mitch Marner, Sheldon Keefe situation. Mm, chef's kiss. That's playing out great, isn't it? They take on Philly tonight. 
And what is your four- chef's kiss per 60 on this show? Uh, not high enough. Because when we're streaming, and I know people can see it, I'm going to be mm-hmm. chef's kissing everything. Sometimes when it doesn't even consider or warrant a chef's kiss. Anyway, there's a bunch of hockey tonight. Game four of the World Series. Phillies are up 2-1. NBA, Champions League, all that good stuff. That's fine. That's what's coming up today. We need to go through the gory details now. We need to tell you what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Miss that? You missed that? Ah, the New Jersey Devils came into Rogers Arena yesterday, led by the likes of Jesper Brad, Igor Sharangovich, and Jack Hughes, and Mackenzie Blackwood in net. And they took care of business in Vancouver. Uh, Devils, 5-2 win over the Vancouver Canucks at Rogers Arena on Tuesday. I did not realize that Jesper Brad has a 10-game point streak, but really, this is so not about the New Jersey Devils, and this is so absolutely about the Vancouver Canucks, who after a modest two-game winning streak are now back to the losing ways, 5-2 loss to the Devils uh, uh, at Rogers Arena on Tuesday night. What are the seven stages of, of, of grief again? It's mm. uh, shock, denial, anger, yeah, make, bargaining. Trading Jason Dickinson. <laughs> depression. Right. Number six is trading Jason Dickinson. No, that's weird. Uh, and no, number six is acceptance and hope. Mm. Hope? And yes. No, no, no. No, no. No, no, no hope. I think I'm getting to, uh, you know what? Congratulate me, guys. I think I'm getting to the acceptance stage. Oh, yeah, that's where I you am. Traded Jason With Dickinson this, yet? Uh, yeah, yeah. We've we've I've already I've already done that. I accept that uh, this is not a very good hockey team. So when they go out against teams like the New Jersey Devils, teams that are on the rise, or other teams that we've seen, like teams like uh, the Carolina Hurricanes, we've seen that recently at Rogers Arena. You know, I. I accept that the Canucks are going to often get outclassed by teams like that, and that's exactly what happened last night. You know, um, we're all sitting around in a circle. Hi, I'm Jason. I'm a Canucks fan. Hi, Jason. No, I, I mean, yeah, that's a little bit different. But um, you know, the Canucks have played four home games now, and three of them have been you might call embarrassing. But if we accept, if we accept that the Canucks are just not a very good hockey team, then they're not embarrassing. They're just expected. And then the, the win against Pittsburgh was tremendous. Well, look at Pittsburgh right now. Yeah. Maybe Pittsburgh has to accept that it's over for them. They're sure. done. I, I don't know. Anyone that loses to Vancouver right now has to come to grips with the fact <laughs> that they lost to the worst team in the NHL. Because right now... Well, do you know what the Penguins did after they lost to Vancouver? They went down to Seattle and lost to the Kraken. And then last night, they had a 5-2 lead on the Bruins, and they blew that, and they lost 6-5 in overtime to yep. the Bruins. So... It's not like that win over Pittsburgh is looking better and better. No, it's P- looking Pittsburgh's twenty first in the NHL. It's it's looking less impressive. Yeah, uh, the Canucks uh, started last night. The way they've started too many games in the last well this season, but really going back to the beginning of last season. So it's the last year in a bit. Uh, they took a penalty uh, right off the right off the uh, start of the, of the of the PK. The, they lost the face off and quickly. New Jersey scored a goal. If you look at that um, first goal by New Jersey, Horvat loses the faceoff. Um, JT Miller, who for some reason is still out there killing penalties on the first unit, uh, couldn't get a stick on a cross-ice pass. And Nico Heischer was left wide open um, for a tap-in. So I don't know 
uh, how many mistakes the Canucks made in five seconds of that PK, but probably too many. If you roll it back, there was the Pearson penalty, which was also lousy that put them on the power play. So there's and, another mistake and to hey, throw on the pile. Hey, Tanner Pearson, stop taking penalties. Yeah. There's there's some advice. Um, <laughs> but you know what? I've come to accept that Tanner right, Pearson right, right. takes too many penalties. Uh so the Canucks did control play for much of the first, and you know, if you're watching the game on TV, Shorty was like, "This isn't supposed to happen." Um, so, I, is that a moral victory? I don't know if it is. They limited the Devils to just one shot for a while. They can raise a banner for that, uh, but some confusion defensively in the Canucks zone, combined with, let's face it, a pretty awful rebound by Thatcher Demko, and it was New Jersey's fourth line. That made it 2 nothing with a couple minutes left in the first period. So the first period's over and the Canucks are losing at home 2 nothing. The fans are starting to get a bit restless. So Luke Shen decides to beat up Miles Wood. Yeah. And boy, did he just keep wailing away on the New Jersey player. Uh, he ended up getting kicked out of the game for being the aggressor in that. But the Canucks somehow ended up with a power play out of that because the Devils came to the rescue of Miles Wood, and they needed to. Uh, the Devils, however, <laughs> this is another story of the Canucks season. Some poor puck management. I think it was Pod Colson. Uh, the Devils took off on a two-on-one and scored shorthanded. Shortly thereafter, the Devils scored again, and it was 4 nothing halfway through the damn game. Horvat did add a couple of power play goals to uh, make his contract, next contract, even more expensive. Uh, he's got a team leading eight goals now, but it was too little too late. Uh, I mentioned this earlier. This reminded me of the Carolina game where the quality of the teams didn't even look close. The Canucks are now 2-6-2, two, and two, and I have come to accept it. Yeah. This is uh, – this, there's so many worrying signs that you just kind of laid out there. Good, good recap, by the way. No, I'm, I'm not worried. I've accepted it. Well, so. I, I am not at the acceptance <laughs> level, my friend. I don't know where I'm at on the, on the scale or the chart or whatever it is, but there are so many concerning signs, not the least of which is when the head coach comes into seemingly every, except for two, I think, the, the two wins, I don't think he did this, but every, almost every night in the postgame media availability, you get one answer or another that sounds like this. Do we have the Bruce Boudreaux audio? This is how we started off. 23 seconds, uninterrupted, bit of a soliloquy from Bruce himself, just almost exasperated and at a loss to try and answer some of the questions as to why the effort and the performances are the way that they are from this team. Here is Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux. I don't understand it. Um, it is frustrating. I mean, that's, you know, uh, I, don't, I really don't, don't have an answer. It's frustrating. It's uh uh, I thought, you know, we in- implemented a few new guys into the lineup, and I thought that would bring energy, but it uh, we didn't seem to win uh, anywhere near as many battles as you would have liked to. So the subsequent question and answer period had Bruce being asked a lot of questions about these issues, uh, the PK, the inability to defend two-on-ones, the amount of two-on-ones they're giving up. Uh, all these questions were asked, and Bruce had the kind of common and same refrain for all of them. Well, we're working on it. We're showing the guys the video. We talk about it all the time. And then followed by, I don't know why it's not happening on the ice. Yeah. I mean, you pointed it out. Puck management has been an issue all year. But puck management often leads to 
turnovers, which leads to odd man rushes, which leads to goals against seemingly every time. And this isn't a jinx. Like, people are saying, well, this team has no luck. Every time they try something and make a mistake, boom, it ends up in the back of their net. You know what that is? That's a result of not being a good hockey team. You don't have the guys to uh, manage the puck properly. You don't have the guys to not make turnovers. And then, let's be honest, you don't have the guy in net to bail you out. Not right now. Not right now. Yeah, not right now. Thatcher Demko, uh, I'm not going to... I'm not going to blame him for most of the goals last night. The second goal I kind of mentioned, it was a pretty bad rebound. Uh, Laddie, I don't, I don't know if you have anything to say. You're the, you're the goalie expert. Um, what I was going to talk about really was all the East-West goals that the Canucks are, are, are giving up. Um, we talked about the, the first goal, and one of the, the major issues that the Canucks have is really stopping those uh, cross-ice passes, and JT Miller couldn't get a stick on a cross-ice pass um, right off the bat on the Devils' first power play goal or their first their first goal. Um, there were a bunch of two-on-ones. Um, you know, it's that's pretty hard on the defender. But um, but the, the, the second goal where it was the Devils' fourth line out there and the Canucks were kind of running around in their own end. I think there was some uh, confusion about who even should be out there. I think it was... Hughes and Stillman for some reason, but I don't know. Tanner Pearson was covering the guy in front of them. It was mm-hmm. it was weird, but so the Devils just shoveled the puck on net and Demko uh, put the rebound right into the slot. And was it Miles Wood? I think it was Miles Wood was there to just bang it home. Big so, net for Miles Wood. So I don't even know if it was. I I kind of blacked out. I've come to accept it <laughs> that I black out during Canucks games. What what have you seen from from Thatcher Demko, Laddie? Honestly, I I was just telling Mike in his ear there. I, I spoke to Woodley a, a little bit after the game and uh, just trying to break down what is going on with Demko. And, and he had sort of the same thing that I was picking up on, and that it's not really his fault. Any of the goals when you look at them, like it's a lot of east-west, like you said, Bruff. Uh, a lot of passes across, and and the only way you're really gonna beat that is if you cheat a little bit to the pass side of things. And mm-hmm. if if the biggest issue is you're asking your goalie to cheat. Then I'm I'm not really sure if you're laying the blame on him on those goals because that's that's the really biggest, the only way that he gets across. The biggest thing it was McLeod for New Jersey okay. that scored yes. that goal. Like yes. the, the biggest the biggest thing that you're talking about, I think, sadly, is that uh, they can't have Demko play at whatever this level is right now. If this is acceptable or if this is uh, not great, but under the circumstances, understandable. That doesn't matter because they're not built that way. That's. But do you want them to start cheating on a pass and then get start getting beat on straight shots? Like, is I do, it, is I such don't. a give and take. I that... don't want anyone to cheat. Greg. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm not... I know you don't. <laughs> it's about trust, Greg. But no, like, uh... if, if if you look at that that PK goal, and maybe we're harping on this too much, but I don't think so because the PK shoots them in the foot so often and early in the game. So. The Devils, credit to them, they played it really well. But I watched the goal a bunch of times, and the Canucks didn't come close. So first of all, Horvat loses the faceoff, which is an issue with this team. Um, God, I miss the days of Manny Malhotra out there winning the faceoff, and the puck will go down the ice, and you know the Canucks would automatically kill the first 30 seconds of the power play. But that was 600 years ago. Uh, Bo Horvat's a good faceoff guy, but for whatever reason – they can't seem to win faceoffs on the PK. Curtis Lazar uh, struggled with that as well. So Horvat loses a really clean faceoff. He dashes out to the point after he lost that faceoff. 
the Devils fairly easily pass it around him, and then they make the cross-ice pass that JT Miller should really be in a better position to cut off because there was no one down low that he particularly needed to cover, so mm-hmm. he should have been out there with a better stick to stop that cross-ice pass. And then Nico Heischer just finds the softest spot between the two Canucks defensemen, who I believe were OEL and Myers. If if, if it wasn't, we need to talk about them anyway because mm-hmm. uh, it's a disaster. So, like, it was so easy for the Devils. Yes. You win the faceoff, you make three passes that were, frankly, barely contested. Like, yeah. barely contested. And it's in the back of the net. And I, I'm I'm with Laddie. Like I'm I'm not blaming Thatcher Demko on that. No, but their their success last year was so predicated on Demko. To be honest, let's, if, if this is a weird way to piece this together, but if last year Demko, not Bubble Demko, you could include him as well. If uh, if he was in that game last night, he probably pulls off enough like four or five alarm saves to keep them in the game. That's what he was doing last year. But that's not a good thing because the reality is is that. Now that we're seeing it play out in real time, as we say, proof of concept, you can't, outside of maybe Hashik, over an extended <laughs> period of time, you're not going to have a guy that's going to do that for 82 games and then into the playoffs and whatever. Yeah, someone actually texted into the Dunbar Lumber text line. I'm thankful that Demko is struggling. At least everyone can see how flawed this team is. Uh, another text is OEL done. If he isn't, he's only got a few minutes left in the oven. Because the way that he's playing right now, and we've talked about this, like this is not, we watched him last night and decided, well, wait a minute, he's struggling. You know, we've talked about this multiple times on the show, how this is a story that we need to cover. And he had the excuse uh, in a couple games when Quinn Hughes was in there, oh, he's playing too much, right? Well, he didn't have to last night because... Uh, Quinn Hughes was back in the lineup. He still played significant minutes because, you know what, Riley Stillman, not a very good hockey player. And I think we see the reason why the Chicago Blackhawks were not overly upset to lose him mm-hmm. in the Jason Dickinson trade. Like, n- again, you know, I, I just – the team, they're not very good. Right. Uh, I do think that um... – uh, this is going to end relatively soon for Boudreaux, which pains me to say out loud because, I again, I really like him. I thought what he did was terrific. But right now, you can't keep rolling this. You can't keep rolling out this team with this many issues, some of which are clearly structural, and not make a change. You threw it out on Twitter last night. How many more of these dismal third-period efforts can you put forth in front of your home crowd paying yeah. customers and just say that this is okay. And the easiest thing is we talk about and we circle back to pecking away at the roster. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, changing the coach isn't going to fix the core issues of this team, but it's one of those peck, peck, peck type moves that you can do. Because, I, again, I don't know if you listened to all of his audio last night, Boudreaux, but almost every answer for a two-and-a-half-minute stretch was, yeah, we've told them. We showed them the video. We told them how important it is. They were even talking. He got asked specifically about the amount of east-west passes that not only they give up, but they fail to defend. And Bruce said, we know the analytics on it. We know we're not good at it. We want to get better at it. We're telling the guys, but they're not listening. That, to me, is the sign of a coach that is saying, you know what? Uh, I'm doing all I can to try and put the guys in a position to win. They have no interest in executing how I'm laying it out. Maybe it's time... 
that we parted ways because right now they're the worst team in the NHL. He saw, on record. He saw Steve Nash get fired yesterday. He's like, mm, that seems nice. Oh, I would love to have that kind of Good relaxation. For him. Yeah. <laughs> he's 67 years, he's 67 years old. He doesn't have a contract beyond this year. Like you tell me if any of this points to this lasting a long time, really, I know that they want a couple of games and the pressure is off, but unfortunately that's going to happen sooner Rather than later, I mean, do you, do you disagree? I and it, I don't and it doesn't at all. And I don't, I don't think it's going to change anything. No. I don't think. I think they'll probably get a spark, and they may get themselves back to five hundred. But the, the reality is, when you look at this team, the issues that ar- arose last year have risen from the dead and come back in a, with strength. Like Michael Myers, like they are back. Those problems, and they're not good enough to overcome them. And adding guys like Studnika and Bear. You know, Boudreaux even talked about that. He's like, I thought we'd get a lift with some new guys in the lineup. That yeah. didn't happen either. I think you, you you touched on what I was especially frustrated about last night, and it was the performance in front of the home fans, right? Um, and, look, the team, you know, we talked so much about playoffs, et cetera, and whether or not they're going to make the playoffs. But it's really important whether you make the playoffs or not to have good efforts in front of your paying customers tickets are not cheap in this city and do you remember we were recounting that story of sitting down with Jim Benning and and kind of debating whether or not they should rebuild or try and stay competitive and he said well you know ownership wants to have a good product on the ice for for the paying customers they you know they don't and and the whole conclusion was like we're not tearing it down so it's a terrible losing team that people are paying good money to come see. Well, this team is capped out and the Canucks in three of four home games this season have put forth dismal efforts. There was the Buffalo game mm-hmm. um, where the jerseys started going on the ice. Was there bad? was the Carolina game where um, I think that was the one that Bruce Boudreaux came out afterwards and said, like, I don't get how a team in the situation that it's in that hasn't won a game can play a pretty good second period. And I think they were just trailing by one maybe and come out and play a third period like we did. Mm -hmm. And that was the period where they like barely got any shots on goal. Well, they barely got any shots on goal last night against New Jersey. Now a bit of a different situation. They weren't really in the game. It was four one for New Jersey heading into the third, but you can't just, you know, quit could we now did they quit or was new jersey just that much better because either alternative for that for that third period performance and the third period performances that we've seen in three of four canucks games at rogers arena you have two options either they quit and they stop trying so there's an effort problem or they're not even good enough to uh, have score effects kick in. Mm-hmm. Like, do we not need to address the fact that it seems like Luke Shen is the only one really interested in dragging the team into the fight a lot of the time and also might be the lone emar- emotional heartbeat on the team? Honestly, outside of that game in Seattle where a bunch of guys got feisty and kudos to Cal uh, Burroughs, he's done it a couple times this year as well. But it just seems like when it's time to either let your frustration show and say enough is enough or run around and try and provide that physicality and that emotional lift, it falls on a guy that, to be honest, should be your sixth defenseman and is on a one-year deal at the league minimum. Like, that's the guy. 
And this is meant as no disrespect to Luke Shen. I would love a bunch of guys to play with the kind of yeah. uh, energy and emotion that Shen plays with, but he can't be the only guy. You have a team full of highly paid, very well compensated superstars. I'm using the term loosely, but they're there. And it's oftentimes Luke Shen. Luke Shen doing all of the heavy lifting when it comes to, all right, boys, let's get it fired up. And well, that is problematic as well. The other guy that I thought played a really um, gutsy game on Friday against Pittsburgh was a healthy scratch last night in Kyle Burroughs. And I think that was a mistake from the, from the coaching staff. Um, someone has texted in and said, that we're blaming the head coach. We are not blaming the head coach. Oh, Bruce Boudreaux has like, no uh we are not, this is not on him. Like overall, this is not on Bruce Boudreaux. I just am looking forward um, and I'm saying I, I see the future. But I but yeah, I, yeah, that's what Mike's saying. He's saying like it's just trending towards a coaching change. I don't even know if it is. I don't even know if I agree with you on there being a coaching change because I think even this management group. Oh God, I don't know what this management group is thinking. There you go. But, now you're now you're talking. But like they, it, it, they, well, no, there, there is some evidence to suggest that um, the coaching change is not what this management group is thinking right now. Because there was that point that that um, report from Elliot Freeman where he said that management addressed this team and said, "Listen, if you think we're just going to fire the coach and that's going to be it, you got another thing coming." Come on. You know that if it goes in tailspin mode, and we're dangerously close to it already, that their hand might be forced. Yeah, but I think all that's going to happen is, like, Mike Yo will take over. Oh, I, I, but like, that's all I'm saying. I had just, a few people texting me yesterday and say, like, do you think they should beat the Leafs to the punch and hire Barry Trotz? And I, my reply was, um, like, I don't think they have the smarts or the guts to play Trotz hockey. I and that is a real indictment of a group. I don't think I, Barry I Trotz that. would be. I don't think Barry Trotz would be interested in the slightest in taking that job, in the slightest. If you were a free agent coach and you knew that you probably had a choice of places to go, why would you pick the worst team in the NHL that just ran Bruce Boudreaux out? If that does indeed happen, and plays with a so so much of a lack of structure that they fall into thirty second in the league standings, I wouldn't want it. Just wait for the Toronto job yeah. to open up if you're trots. You know, uh, we'll get into more of your texts and comments on the other side, but just to finish my thought on Kyle Burroughs being scratched, I thought that was a mistake. And and I and again, I'm not putting this on, on Boudreaux. I, I, I know they want to see what they've got in Stillman. I know that they like his character, and apparently he's a high-character guy, but Burroughs played really well against the Penguins. And then he find him, found himself in the press box. You know, the Canucks need more guys that are going to go out there and hit and be aggressive and drag players into the fight, not fewer guys. Uh, and, you know, I know it's not the reason why they lost in the New Jersey Devils, but I just think it's just emblematic of a team right now that nothing is going right for it. And, you know, it was it was even really a difficult game to judge the new guys in the lineup. You know, Stadnika and Ethan Bear. Ethan Bear made one nice defensive play on Jack Hughes, and you're kind of like, well, that's good. Mm -hmm. But then after that, it was just such a – the Canucks were down, and they were down, you know, 4 nothing halfway through the game. And you just kind of – you stop watching and you stop judging because at that point in the game, 
it's hard to judge players. It's like oh, it's almost like a preseason game, yeah, then, right? Like, like the stakes are are lower at that point. It's not you're not playing hockey that you know the Devils are like we got this one, yeah, right? And the Canucks, I don't know. Uh, we've got an open segment on the other side, so we'll dip into the Dunbar Lumber text line. It's funny there. There's some anger in there, but there's also just like I get the sense that there's just like yeah, this team isn't very good. Resignment, so, if you will. There's resignment right now, and it's 10 games into the season. Uh, we'll also go around a few other stories. We did kind of mention that Steve Nash got fired. Uh, we do have some uh, tickets to give away. Andy just reminded me in my ear, and I'm sure those will be flying off the shelf. Mm. <laughs> uh, Thursday's game against Anaheim, and actually, to be fair, that is uh, a night that's going to honor Kevin Bieksa. Uh, so... People will want to go to that game and remember guys that actually had pride playing for the Vancouver Canucks, which Kevin Bieksa definitely did. Uh, a couple other NHL stories uh, that we can dip into in the next segment of the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. Hawk pulls and turns it over. Here's another two-on-one shorthanded chance for the Devils. Sharon Govich down the left wing in front for Mercer. He scores! Dawson Mercer with a shorthanded goal beats Thatcher Demko at the far post on his glove side. Well, they outworked us. <laughs> when they outwork you, you know, the, the success is going to follow. 6.35 on a Wednesday, Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 6.50. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. I got to mention, we are giving away a pair of tickets. This is for tomorrow's game against Anaheim, Kevin Bieksa night, correct, Andy? That's right. We always have to pay attention to what night we're giving away tickets for. Uh, one pair, so two tickets to go see the Canucks and Ducks. Thursday, 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena, Kevin Bieksa night at the Raj. Uh, get your what we learns in. We're going to select the winner of the tickets from the pool of what we learned. So here's what you got to do. Hashtag it WWL and add a ticket emoji to the submission. That'll put you in the grand prize draw for a pair of tickets to go see the Canucks and Ducks. <laughs> Two teams that are right near the bottom of the NHL standings. You get to see them on uh, Thursday night. It is Kevin Baxter night, no, no, though, sorry. So there's, there's that going for you, which is nice. Uh, John in Canby Village, who won those tickets to see last night, just texted in, hey guys, thanks for the tickets to the game. It was a nice autumn night in Vancouver, <laughs> and we walked down Canby and over the bridge to the arena. That sounds lovely. I really appreciate the the ability to see all the skaters and the whole ice in the building. I haven't been for years, unfortunately. And here's where we get to the game part, not the walk to the game. The great view made it easy to see that OEL and Stillman Offer nothing at this stage. Also, why exactly is JT Miller still on the penalty kill? Two players. I'm not going to. Ta- I'm going to take Stillman out of the conversation because we already talked about him. Okay. Uh, two players that you're watching them play and going. How many more years are left on their deals? OEL and JT Miller. JT Miller's extension. Just to remind everyone, hasn't even kicked in yet. And, you know, I, I, I thought he played really well on Friday against the Penguins. I was saying, like, whoa, looks like he found his legs. He was winning battles. And then last night it was back to the old, uh, not going to move my feet. JT Miller, bad puck management, 
JT Miller forcing bad passes, JT Miller and OEL. Um, I don't know what to say about this guy. Um, when the Canucks traded for him, remember people said he's starting to break down. His mobility is not what it used to be. And last year he played fine, not outstanding, but he played fine. Uh, this year has not been fine and lots of speculation about, is he hurt? Is he out of shape? Is he just cooked? Has he reached that age where he's just going to continue to go downhill? Uh, I don't know what the answer is, but it's a problem right now. And mm. frankly, uh, you cannot have a player playing at OEL's level in your top four because it is so damaging to your team. Uh, it was either, was it New Jersey's fourth goal? Where OEL, there was a stretch pass from New Jersey. Uh, and OEL was just kind of sitting in the, in the middle of the neutral zone. And I don't know why. Like, all New Jersey needs to do was stretch the ice past him and they had a two-on-one. You can't give up two-on-ones like that. You can't give up two-on-ones when you got five guys back and it's just like one pass takes everyone out and there's one guy left. That can't happen. Okay, here's what I want to say about those two guys in particular that you just brought up because there's a commonality there which should be either a red flag or a white flag. Like the red flag, this is a problem, or white flag, we're just resigning ourselves to this. What you just said in your descriptions of JT Miller and Oliver ekman Larson was accurate, but it was also nothing new. Like I think those were trends that people could have seen from a mile away. The, the knock on Miller has always been... Maybe doesn't have enough uh, attention to his defensive game. But I'll say this. The one thing you didn't bring up about JT Miller, he's got nine points in 10 games this year, and he's on pace for 41 goals and 74 points. So production-wise, offensively, Miller's not quite giving you 99 points, but he's still having a very, very, very productive offensive campaign. Warts and all. So you know that's JT Miller. Period. End of sentence. Move on to OEL. People are saying OEL looks cooked. <laughs> OEL was showing signs of regression before he became a Vancouver Canuck. That was the issue. Like, it was almost like reality he was staring everybody in the face with all these players um, that they've got their attributes, but they've also got their warts. And it's like they expected something inherently to change. Someone at some level of the organization yeah. just assumed that everything would just click. And you know what's happening now? Not only is it not clicking... But the schisms are becoming, and the chasms are becoming larger and larger to the point where you get the feeling that you're not going to be able to fix it. And this only has one direction to go, and that direction is down. Like, again, I, if you were to just take JT Miller's uh, box, traditional box scores and or counting stats and his projections for the year and ignore how the team is done, he's delivering on his contract and his extension, production-wise. But he's not. But that's the thing. But he's not. But that's what. But there's not much of a difference. He was also signed to be a leader. He was also signed for his passion, his emotion, his ability to uh, bring his team into the fight. And right now he's bringing it down. And it's a real problem. Mm -hmm. And, and um, I was on, I think I've already said this on the show, but I was on Toronto radio uh, like a week ago when the Canucks were still winless. And when you go on these shows, you, you don't want to get into the nitty gritty. Like you, you don't want to get into like, oh, I disagreed with Bruce Boudreaux's decision to uh, healthy scratch Kyle Burroughs, right? Like you don't get into that. 
um, they want a big picture view. And I said, the Canucks have made two serious mistakes in the last couple of years. One was uh, their willingness to acquire the OEL contract, so the OEL trade. And in my opinion, re-signing JT Miller was a big mistake as well. Mm -hmm. Now, the JT Miller one, I still don't know if they can get out of it. But if they can, they should get out of it right now. I don't know if a trade is out there uh, for JT Miller, but um, if they can get out of it in the offseason before the extension kicks in without retaining salary, or even if they do need to retain salary, like I would get out of it. That's my opinion. You might disagree with it. I think that contract is going to go real bad. And the OEL one, frankly, the way he's playing, in the back of my mind, I'm sitting there going, he might just end up on LTI. Right? Like, that's me positive thinking about Ekman Larson is wow. that he looks so run down uh, that maybe he's just going to have an injury. And he's going to end up on LTI. Right. And I think that there, at this point, it's probably worth, one, diving into the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket at 650-650 because people are weighing in left and right with all sorts of things. Not surprising because there's all sorts of issues. Um, this is a, a very dark time for the organization because there's so many different problems in so many different ways. And we keep coming back to the comments made by the president of Hockey Ops, Jim Rutherford, um, a couple days ago where he told Pierre Lebrun from The Athletic that they're just going to keep pecking away, and we all do the bird pecking away, keep pecking away at this roster. And if that is the way that they're either forced to go about it because their hands are tied financially or contractually, or if that's just the only way that they're going to get things done, whatever the case, they're going to have to keep pecking away. If it's that's the way that they're going to get to the end goal, like Andy Dufresne in Shawshank, just slowly chipping away and chipping away until finally he breaks out. Hopefully it takes quicker than 10 years. Um, then it's got to keep happening because you can't keep going like this. Really, you can't. Like the, You're talking about um, you can't keep playing Ekman Larson. Like up until a week ago, because of all the injuries and lack of depth, he's playing 27 minutes a night. Mm -hmm. That's a stark contrast for a head coach. Right? You know, there's a lot of text into the Dunbar Lumber text line about ownership and who's making the decisions here. And listen, we I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, right? We've we've taught we've hinted at various things or talked about them right out in the open. Um I think it's fairly obvious that ownership is against a rebuild. But I do wonder if they get to a point, and I'm talking about ownership here, where they're just so angry at this core group of players. And I just want to come back at uh, and talk about the efforts at home. Um, season ticket holders are the lifeblood of the team. One of the main lifebloods, obviously, right? Like you've got your broadcast deals, which the Canucks just signed. Yeah. That's obviously a very important revenue generator. But the season ticket holders are the ones that you can count on time and time again to renew their tickets, and that's money in the bank there. You have to keep them happy. It's one of the reasons why the Canucks have been hesitant to rebuild, according to my understanding. And you get it, right? You get it. You may not agree with it, but you get the general sentiment. These performances at, at, at home are really 
a slap in the face to your season ticket holders. I'm sorry they are. When you spend the amount of money that some people spend at Rogers Arena, some companies spend at Rogers Arena, they're taking clients to entertain uh, and to try and do business with. You're taking your friends and family. You're taking your kids. And you want to be entertained. And you want the home team to, at the very least, put forth a good effort. The third periods in three of the four Canucks games have been pathetic. And if I'm ownership, if I own this team, and those season ticket holders are my customers, and I'm I'm spending millions of dollars on these players, and then I go and watch that effort, I go, why am I spending millions of dollars on these players? Right. And I think the big thing here is that you can't just sit back and watch those roll out Night after night after night, right? It cannot be tolerated. Right. So you've got to make changes. You do. And that's why I brought up, uh, is it going to be Bruce Boudreaux being dismissed as head coach of the team? Is it going to be a trade where you actually remove someone from this group as opposed to adding guys? Because remember, Stillman and, um, quickly, the other two trades, Stillman, Bear, and Studnika, thank you. <laughs> uh, those are just... Bringing guys in, all again, all due respect to Jason Dickinson, but that's not a major departure. No one was crying at the airport wearing yeah. a Dickinson jersey that their favorite player got traded. I'm talking about the, the, the core players, yeah. right? Now, and... the, the issue with the core players, of course, is what? They're tough to trade in season. It's going to be difficult to move someone. Money in, money out. All these things, I get it. But they're going to have to do something to address this. Because if you keep rolling out, God, imagine Thursday, for example. You're going to raise... Or so you're going to celebrate one of the more beloved fan favorites in recent memory. Kevin BX, the last 20, 30 years, one of the most popular players that had played for the Canucks, in large part because of how he played and what he represents. If you come out that night, and that night is capped off by another flat, listless, third-period performance and effort where your head coach is yet again scratching his head, trying to figure out why there was no juice within the team, pardon the pun, that's going to be a huge problem. And you can't, you just can't, you can't just allow it to happen. Sometimes your hand is forced. And I'm going to be honest, Rutherford's already shown signs of that. I thought the, the comments that he made to LeBron about the Bear deal, Ethan Bear, um, were really telling because he told LeBron that we had, we've been trying to get this deal done for a long time. We've been going back and forth with Carolina since the summer. So you got to ask the next question. Why did you decide to do it now? And the answer is because we're desperate. Mm -hmm. We needed to make that deal. We need to change something. Something needs to be shook up. Jim Rutherford's been around hockey long enough to know that this can't keep going on. And and, and nothing, nothing that the team does with one or two victories, and, and, you know, a Friday night win against Pittsburgh, which was great, and the home fans went home happy. None of it is masking the bigger issues with his team, which now go beyond roster construction and composition and into... Are these guys even giving a crap when they go out there? Yeah. And that's a problem. That is a big problem. And I'm not sure if any pecking away or fixing if this season is going to get it done. I, it could be a major overhaul, and I don't know when that happens, and that's bleak. Well, yeah, the problem is is that people will say we'll make these major trades, but it's really hard to do it in the middle of the season. It's extremely and, difficult. And I think that's what's so frustrating. We're 10 games into the season, and sure, there's a – 0.5% chance that the Canucks turn this thing around, right? But it doesn't look good, does it? I mean, it, it, we we always talk about, 
okay, how is this team going to respond? And God, how many times have we asked that question? And sometimes they respond okay, right? They got the win down in Seattle, and there was some grittiness to that effort. They dropped the gloves a few times. Mm. JT Miller blocked a shot that we all celebrated as if, like, he shouldn't have blocked the shot. Yeah, but that's the effort they need to bring literally every single night, yeah. 82 games a year, just to get a result where they eked out a win over Seattle in Seattle. And then they play legitimately well against Pittsburgh. Granted, the Penguins are are really struggling right now, but we'll give them credit. They played well against Pittsburgh. And then, you know, we're talking about, okay, you know, now you got a chance to build momentum because you can't just, you can't just be sad. But Horvat said, we can't just be satisfied with two wins. And then, you know, you got this opportunity with three remaining home games before you head out on another long road trip. So you're looking at your record. All right. We're two, five and two. We got three home games left. Let's win them all. Let's win them all. Get back to NHL 500 and go out on the road, go back east, and take on the likes of Ottawa and Toronto and Boston and Montreal. By the, oh, sorry. But then the first game they have, you know, like they, they have three days off. That's they, they had sat they had a full day off on Saturday. Go and enjoy Halloween. Watch college football. They had two practices on Sunday and Monday. And in the game against New Jersey, they're down four nothing halfway through the game in front of your home fans, and really didn't have much fight after that. Uh, you mentioned Bo Horvat in that segment there. Um, do, we, do we need to reposition ourselves and look at this and say, this sure looks like a guy who knows it's a contract year and might be very, very, very enthused at the possibility of going, that bull is going straight to free agency. Bo I don't Hor- think it has anything to do with contract year. That I'm he has just, eight goals. Play along with me, please. Okay. Yeah. please. Just sure. for the sake of. I will accept and play along. Thank I, you. My acceptance <laughs> is my theme <laughs> right you. now. Bo Horvat. I accept you. Bo Horvat is on pace for 66 goals. <laughs> <laughs> it's unbelievable. He's 10 games into the season. He's got eight. He's on pace for 66 goals. He's on pace for 80. He's a point-a-game player. Have we, is, have we all come around on the fact that Bo Horvat's best attribute is his goal-scoring ability? It's not his defensive work. It's not face-offs, which are overrated anyway, and he can't seem to win many on the PK at all. Um, it's his, he's a good goal-scorer right sniper, now. Man. He's a good goal-scorer right now. I don't know what yeah, to tell he scores you. Good, he scores goals. Uh, he's definitely going to weave a nice narrative for himself should he go to the trade deadline without a contract in hand. Imagine he goes into February – and he's a 30-goal center. How many teams are going to be clamoring to pick him up as a rental? Then this is maybe an extreme house of optimism at this point. But again, remember, we're talking about trading the long-serving captain of the team at the deadline. So it's not that house of Horvat optimism. for Matthews, both 60-goal guys. Really? We should. When you think you about know? it. Yeah, you change know? of scenery, yeah, just, guys. Just extrapolate change it. Change I mean, of scenery. Sure. Um, I, you know, I, I don't, and don't get me wrong, I know that this isn't like previous instances, but when we used to do the more national scope and gig and where we were working, you would see guys that would go off in contract years leading into the deadline, and then they'd be traded, and then a lot of them would cash in in free agency. Like, it's not mm-hmm. a bad place to be if you're Bo Horvat. I know you're the captain of a sinking ship, but here's the thing. In a few months, you can jump off. <laughs> it's not your problem anymore. <laughs> really, it's not. You can be like, see you guys. I'm going to free agency. Well, it's time, time or, for Bo to cash in. Or even at the trade, de- trade deadline. I'm going to Colorado. They need help down the middle. I mean, he is. he's writing himself a really interesting final chapter of his Connects career if he so chooses. Mm-hmm. He's playing again. 
you can take shots at the guy, but you can't argue with him. Score. He scored eight goals in 10 games. He has 10 points in 10 games. He's doing, at least in terms of production, what a lot of his fellow forwards aren't doing right now. So he deserves credit for all the distractions that he's got. He's the captain of this rudderless ship. He doesn't have a contract. His negotiations are kind of being played out publicly because Rutherford's talking about them. So there's a lot going on that he could fall back on to say, yeah, there's reasons I'm not producing. But he's producing. He's the leading scorer on the team. Text into the Dunbar Lumber text line. Hey, guys, how come you're not addressing how badly Pod Colson played and has for the last few games? Uh, we just don't have time. We talked about it yesterday. There's a, there's a, <laughs> there's a lot, of th- lot of things that aren't going well for the Canucks. Uh, we kind of did mention it. Uh, bad puck management. Pod Colson's fault. It went two-on-one on the Canucks power play. And they surrender yet another uh, shorthanded goal. I'm not seeing much out of Neil Zaman right now. Is it his fault? Do you think that all is. this? Yes, all this is Nils Oman's fault. I blame it squarely on him. The yeah. shoulders should of Oman. Should we just go? Should we just go through <laughs> everyone on the roster? He's Tibor. Man, it's not uh, looking Tibor. good right now. Frank Saravelli's going to join us next on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 11:30 Air Patrol. If 